0: The Gist is sponsored by Goldman Sachs. Information about developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy on the firm's podcast, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, available on iTunes. And by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now. So listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: It's Tuesday, December 1st, 2015. From Slate It's the Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. This new batch of Clinton Hillary Clinton emails out some classified, not top, but classified. One of these is extremely troubling. It calls her judgment into question. So you'll remember that Hillary suffered a concussion from fainting and hitting her head in 2012. Back then, she reached out to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Having a cracked head is no fun at all. Clinton joked in an email to her aide, and her aide emailed back. I reached out to both NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and Bill Frist. Okay, so let me let me amend something. It doesn't call into question Hillary's judgment because she reached out to Goodell. It calls into question her judgment because she hired this aide. Reaching out to Roger Goodell, as the aide noted, his dad did hold your Senate seat. That is true. So powerful people know powerful people. But Roger Goodell, to ask for advice on how to... How to treat a concussion? This shows spectacular lack of judgment. What kind of brain trauma was the AIDS suffering? Roger Goodell, the dark lord of the Game of Shadows, the obfuscator, the employer of a rheumatologist to head his concussion committee, he is now paying hundreds of millions of dollars in a class action suit to players who suffered brain trauma. You ask him what you should do for a concussion? And how does the Bill Frisk come into it? Yes, he's a doctor. You don't know any more doctors? You're Hillary Clinton. Do the Clinton have the worst HMO ever up oh, let's see who's in network well, you got Frist and Ben Carson. Take your pick. ay ay. It's like reaching out to Donald Trump on tips on how to stay humble and centered. I don't know. Maybe the aide besides Frist also reached out to see Coop. He wasn't dead in 2012. He's the third doctor they know. Oh, my God, Hillary. Please don't tell me that your aide reached out to Lil Wayne about getting through those airport metal detectors. On the show today, I spiel about what we know about abortion clinic safety and what that tells us. And also, Fred Kaplan is here to talk about the war on ISIS. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.
0: In the days and weeks after the Paris attack, President Obama has talked about what America is doing to fight ISIS, and he lays out his case with a lot of logic, but maybe not a lot of vim or what his critics uh, perceive as a lassitude and a lack of passion. Well, I was listening to the day after, I was listening to WNYC radio, Brian Lehrer, and he had on my next guest, Fred Kaplan, and Fred said something provocative, something I agreed with, and something I haven't heard a lot, which is, thank God this guy's president, Instead of, well, you could imagine the different alternatives, Fred Kaplan, by the way, writes the war stories column in Slate. He is the author of five books, most recently, "The Insurgents: David Petraeus, and the Plot to Change the American Way of War, and his new book that's coming out is Dark Territory: The Secret History of Cyber War." He's here. Hey, Fred. Hi, Mike. Why did you say, why did you find what the president was saying heartening? We'll get to his critics in a second, but what did you like about it? Not just what he said then, what he's been saying? All
1: right. About. There are some things that he's not saying that I would like him to say, but first I'll deal with your—that was that particular press conference that morning, which was very calm and rational, and some people thought it was too calm and too rational. But when you had, on the other hand, people at the same time saying, let's keep all refugees out of the country— Let's uh, let's take firmer action. And then, you know, you, you ask question number two, which is, well, what kind of action would you take? You know, except for Trump, who said, I'll bomb the the shit out of them. Bomb. And so his,
0: the big difference between his it's, policy and our policy is he uses the word shit.
1: Bomb the shit Great. out of them. Uh, but to what end? Bomb who? Bomb the shit out bomb what shit out of whom? <laughs> but everybody else. Oh, would you send troops? Oh, well, no, I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, well, what would you do? I, it's like, well, I would do what he's doing, but I would be much more fiercely toned about it. Yeah, and and you know, what what look, the whole policy about the refugees. This is not a this is not a a PC. This is not a politically correct thing. This is not a liberal Guga thing. If you're saying we're not going to let these Muslims in, or yeah, we'll let some in, but Christians first. You are playing into ISIS narrative. You are playing into the notion that we in the United States, the West, that we are waging war on Islam. It's not just against ISIS and radical. It's against all Muslims. Look what they're doing to these poor refugees, you know, and you're and also you're alienating those people who are who would like to reach out and and, and join us in, in the civilized world. Yeah, these guys are playing into the bad guys. Hands. And it's right, which And is, that's something that Obama is deeply, keenly aware of. Right. And it's a way the president has
0: to act a little differently than the president's critics, even when George W. Bush was the president and doing all the actual things that maybe the right wing of the Republican Party would like to do now. He was still not saying it's a fight against any kind of Islam. He, he was just, explicitly saying it is not a yes. fight. Yes. And that's the answer to the question. Why don't they say it's a fight against radical Islam? Because we're also diplomats, and there's also a public relations aspect. And if you say it's a fight against any word, put any word here, and then the word Islam, it's more harm than
1: good. It's like, you know, what is, yeah, we have to identify, you know, it's like, Beetlejuice, 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 and it disappears, you know, radical Islam, radical Islam, radical Islam, and that plus... 30 bombs in a day will vanquish them? Plus,
0: not only do you put the word a fight against Islam and just have one other word in between, we also want to define what they're doing as not Islamic. And in fact, that's one of the things that hurts them the most is that other Muslims say that is wrong and that is not Islamic. We don't want to give them credence as Islamic.
1: But there's another thing. One could imagine there might be someone who is adhering to radical Islam, whatever that means, and people might have their own... You know, like radical Christianity, mm-hmm. radical Judaism, I don't know. And yet they don't want to go out necessarily and kill people. You know, maybe they have really radical maybe like during the Cold War, there were professors at universities who were Marxists. That doesn't mean that they're going to join join forces with the Soviet Union. It is the opposite of identifying your enemy by by who they are. It is not. It includes a lot of people that are not included in that. You might want to have some radical Muslims on your side to inveigh against what ISIS is doing as being un-Islamic. Yeah.
0: Someone with actual credibility in their world who could speak to their potential recruits. And, you know,
1: these, these guys don't also seem to know, you know, like when we do send troops or bomb or something, we are doing this on behalf of countries or citizens of other countries who are Muslims. It's not like there are all these Christians and Jews that we're fighting for in these places. There aren't very many of those. These are Muslims. You know, the the head of the Iraqi government, the Jordanian government, the, the Saudi. These are
0: Muslims. So what isn't President Obama doing that you'd like to see him do?
1: After Paris is bombed, I don't think it's a good idea for the president of the United States to say, well, Our strategy is slowly making progress, and we're just going to keep what we're doing. I mean, something has to change, at least in the rhetoric. There are certain things that we could do and that I think we should be doing more quickly with more force. You know, just started bombing some oil refineries, oil trucks. It's long been a mystery why that hadn't been done a long time ago.
0: In executing that, so the problem was, first of all, there's a rule of war problem. Then there's a moral problem. Maybe the guys, as Obama's talked about this, maybe the guys driving the trucks have been pushing the service and are innocent people. So what you do is you you leaflet them. You say, get out of the trucks. That's what they did. And then you bomb them. But why not now? And if that's the one I know about, there, there are probably a few... Other, I think about that in the same way I think about what the French are doing now. Americans aren't saying, well, the French shouldn't be doing it. I wonder, what, is, what are the French doing now that we weren't doing three months ago, and why weren't we doing it three months ago? You know, ago? it's
1: unclear. They, they bombed the hell out of Raqqa, which is where the headquarters of... Uh... ISIS is, and I'm not even sure what that means. You know, we, they talk a lot of people talk about well, we're going after command control targets. You know, command control can be a number of things. It can be a switch for a fiber optic cable line, or it could be a telephone on someone's desk. I mean, you know, yeah, we bombed the telephone and the building that that it was sitting in, and the 30 other apartments in that building. Yeah. Uh, if you're going after people like this, what you don't want to do is alienate the innocent people who are living in their midst. You know, it's not like ISIS has campgrounds outside of town. And no, it, there's a very easy target and we go bomb them. They're, they're in the cities. They're mixing with other people. If you kill, you know, say 10 terrorists, but then you kill two good guys along with that, it would, you would have been better off not killing those 10 bad guys because the two good guys have cousins and brothers and uncles, and they're all going to join the movement, or at least look the other way if the movement is doing something that they don't like. Because now you're fighting the people who killed my cousin.
0: When I read the U.S. Defense Department, uh, they put out press releases of everything, not people. They don't give a death toll usually, but they'll say, we bombed this tank, we bombed this anti-aircraft gun. They'll list them all. We've dropped Mm -hmm. 8,000-something, we've run 8,000 missions. How much more material is there how good a job are we doing? Have we decimated their forces? Have we killed, do you know, how many ISIS yeah. fighters we've killed? I, yeah, I, can't I get a sense of this. Yeah,
1: I don't like that either. It's, it, it, it reeks of the body counts in the Vietnam War. Okay, so you killed 25 Viet Cong today. So did they get 25 new guys to come replace them? Or yeah, oh, they killed, they knocked out a tank and an anti, well, how many more tanks? Do and by the way, are tanks, are they really important to what they're doing? Or You know, I also read that, you know, uh, we've taken back 25 square miles of, of yep. land that and they that used was, to occupy. And then well, when
0: he said contained, he was talking about taking back yes. certain
1: numbers. Where, where, where was this land? And does it really obstruct the fact that you now occupy it and they don't, does that impede, obstruct, slow down the pace at which foreign fighters come into the country? What does that mean exactly? And and nobody knows. And, and you sometimes get the impression that, that, that these guys don't know either. That said, when, when President Obama said they're being contained, I mean, there are some things that have been happening on the ground that are promising. I mean, one thing that's been true forever, ISIS has never really taken over any stretch of land that was once controlled by Shiites. Remember when they first started in, everybody thought Baghdad was going to fall tomorrow. It didn't, and they didn't even get close to Baghdad because there were Shiite-controlled areas, and they fought back. You know, the the, the other day when uh, the Kurds, with U.S. air power, retook Sinjar. That's a big deal. That's right along a road leading from Raqqa to Mosul. It's a big supply line. Another thing that I think is important you know, people say, well, this can't be one purely militarily. That's true. But there are military things that will help. When did people start flocking to join ISIS? It's when ISIS very quickly. Took over Mosul. They took over Fallujah. They took over. So you're knocked a... over a
0: bunch of banks. Yeah. Got really yeah. rich. Yeah. So so let's say you're a
1: Mosul. radical Islamic guy mm-hmm. in London. You look at this and say, man, now it's happening. I'm going to go join these guys. I'm going to go, you know, commit jihad. I'm going to become a martyr. But what if they start losing this stuff? What if they start losing some battles? What if some of these towns start getting retaken? Then the guy back in London or Paris says, oh, Jesus, this doesn't look very good. I'm going to go about my, my, own, my own life.
0: McCain and Graham are not talking about 100 or 50 or 150 advisers. They, they're talking about tens of thousands of ground troops. So my questions about this are, can tens of thousands of ground troops oust ISIS? If they do, will we then once again be in charge of resurrecting some semblance of Iraqi society? And what will replace the tens of thousands of ground troops, or will they even work?
1: If President Obama tomorrow said, I want to go reoccupy Mosul, how many will that take? Well, sir, this will take 20,000 troops. Okay, let's do it. It could be done. There's no question. But then, as you say, yeah, then what? What, other ISIS types are not going to come in? Now that Satan really is on Mosul territory, this is going to be a rallying cry for every terrorist group in the world. Look, that that that's why they came to Iraq. We 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 beat Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. Then we invade Iraq, and that became the, the the poster child again. They rallied forces. Then what happens? And how long do you stay? You know, I love the fact that uh, this this neocon analyst Robert Kagan wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal recently, where he called for fifty thousand troops, mm-hmm. and then he said, and then we go in, and then. Our troops will be replaced by NATO and Arab countries, which will come in and occupied for the long term. Oh, really? Why won't won't they come help occupy it now? I mean, that's just wishful thinking. That is wishful thinking. They're they're not going to do it because they'll say, oh, the Americans did it. We'll just stand by like we always do. But the other and more important thing is this cannot look like a predominantly American war for the long haul. If these kinds of groups are really going to be crushed, if they're not going to become a dominant part of the Middle East, it's got to look like these guys were crushed from the inside, from people who follow the same creed that they pretend to, who are native to the same part of the world. And yeah, we'll help, you know, airstrikes, intelligence fusion stuff, logistics Advisors, maybe a company on some raids, call in air forces, that kind of thing. But it, it, it is significant that for all the the thunder and storm of the, you know the Republican candidates who are saying well, Obama is a weakling, none of them except uh, Graham are calling for any more ground troops. And Lindsey Graham is now, what, like 0.3% of the vote? That, that kind of sends a message to everybody. Like, yeah. you know,
0: He's calling for more we, ground might be, troops we might be able to, supportive. let's
1: say we could do this for six months. Yeah. There is nowhere, either here or elsewhere, that, that will be for sustaining this.
0: Fred Kaplan writes the War Stories column in Slate. His latest book out soon is Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War. Thanks, Fred.
1: Thank you. Today's show
0: is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s.
1: Have you listened to it yet?
0: Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that but if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now Um, sounds like a no
1: well we don't really know what it is voices, music breathing but you know I'm not going to mess with that thing
0: to sum it up extraterrestrials Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. Search for The Message on iTunes. And now the spiel about face. The killings in Colorado Springs focus our attention to the dangers, dangers that always lurk, not always even under the surface, for the workers and visitors to abortion clinics. As Martha Raddatz somewhat ham-handedly put it in reference to the Planned Parenthood clinic that was shot up and shot at. Revelations the shooter may
1: have been targeting the group.
0: Well, yes, of course, it's a target. They shot at it. That's why it's a target. But it would seem that all clinics, to some extent, are targets. My question was, however, to what extent? And learning the answer to that taught me something. So yesterday, California Senator Barbara Boxer wrote to Paul Ryan. She asked him to hold off on his plan to... Defund Planned Parenthood. She wrote, Since 1977, there have been 11 murders, 17 attempted murders, 42 bombings, and 186 arsons against abortion clinics and providers. It's time to stop the witch hunt against Planned Parenthood, stop the demonizing rhetoric, and disband this committee immediately. So 1977 is not an arbitrary start date. That's when Roe versus Wade went into effect, when abortion became legal or it became illegal to illegalize abortion in all 50 states was about 40 years ago. So how useful are those statistics today? So I look them up. Remember the figures that Barbara Boxer cited. A very informative group named the National Abortion Federation, which tracks all these instances of violence, echoes her stats. There have been now, with the Colorado killings, 11 murders. But in the group from 1977 to 1994, so roughly the first 17, there were five murders. And in the 20 years since then, there were three murders. If you looked at attempted murder, in the first 17 years of this law, there were 11 attempted murders. And in the last 20 years, there have been six. Bombing, 29 in the first 17 years, and in the last 20 years, there have been 13 bombings, so that was cut in half. Arson, 124 cases of arson in the first 17 years of legal abortion, and in the last 20 years, 58, though there were four reported this year. So it seems that violence and instances of violence are going down quite a bit. Why is this? Have things gotten better? Have passions cooled? Is the American public more pro-abortion? Is the American public less violent? No, clearly not that. Violence against abortion clinics went down because the federal government passed a law that was dedicated to lessen violence against abortion clinics and abortion providers. It was called the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. The acronym is FACE. These days, there'd be an acronym with Eagle or Patriot or Safety in there, but it was called FACE. Here's Janet Reno, then the attorney general, speaking before Congress, advocating for FACE.
1: Some have asked whether there is a need for federal legislation my unequivocal answer is yes. Because of this nationwide scope, the problem transcends the ability of any single local jurisdiction to address it. Reno
0: was there anticipating some of her critics' arguments. They'd say First Amendment. They'd say, why is abortion a special case? They'd ask, why a federal law? And in fact, the senators that she was speaking to did ask some of those questions. Here, I found an article from 1993, which quotes Operation Rescue, which was blocking a lot of the clinics. They said, while the crime rate is skyrocketing, Reno admits her first priority is to prosecute peaceful people who hold a different opinion than the Clinton administration is laughable on the explicit and non-subtextual grounds, but also know this, crime, 1993, was actually the apex. It started going down quite a bit since then. That's just a side note. Here's some tape of Bill Clinton, and you can't help but notice him relying on his famous poll-tested formulation about abortion, and it's him when he signed the FACE
1: Act into law. Our people have genuine and deeply felt differences on the subject of abortion even if abortion is safe, legal,
0: and rare. So the reason the act was passed in that year is just the year before abortion provider David Gunn was killed outside of Florida clinic. Janet Reno was asked about this the moment she was selected to become attorney general because she was from Florida. And I just want to emphasize the impact that this law has had. It hasn't been perfect. It hasn't totally eliminated every death, not just the ones in Colorado Springs, but abortion provider George Tiller, abortion provider Barnett Sepian. They were both assassinated for doing their jobs. Eric Rudolph bombed abortion clinics also after the bill, but it seriously lessened it. And to me, this tells me something not only about abortion, but the issue I was talking about yesterday. Gun control. I do not think gun control will solve the problem of people getting killed with guns, but I think it will lessen it. And I'm sure the critics of it, after some gun control is passed... Which might never happen so it's a hypothetical but if a law is passed i'm sure the next time there's a mass killing the advocates will say see it didn't work this is what happens every time there's a mass killing in a european country which has better gun control laws than us see it doesn't work no you have to look at it 20 years in the future you have to see what the general trends are the general trends show that an enforced law And by the way, enforcement of the law fell off greatly under the Bush administration. But a proper law passed on a bipartisan basis, by the way, plenty of Republicans voted for that law. Not John McCain, but Mitch McConnell did. Kit Bond did. Pete Domenici did. A bunch of Republicans voted for that law. If you pass something, if it's well thought out, if it's needed, it could have an effect. It won't save every lives, but it will do its job. And that old idea that I'm from the government and I'm here to help.
1: I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help.
0: Well, there are a lot of jokes we said 30 years ago and they're just not that funny anymore. That's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Andrea Salenzi, who reached out to Roger Goodell to ask him about healthy halftime snacks that could go inside a chip bowl shaped like a football. Andy Bowers, our executive producer, wanted to ask Roger Goodell how he makes those instant replay reviews so damn interesting, and if he thinks there's a podcast about video instant replay reviews. The Gist. We asked Roger Goodell about his sparkling blue eyes and those hilarious pre-shows starring Tony, Boomer, Howie, Coach, Dan, Shannon, Coach, Coach, and Defensive Coach. And, of course, we also reached out to Roger Goodell on the general issue of press freedom and availability. God bless you, sir. Um-peru-de-peru-do-peru, and thanks for listening.